This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. Hello, welcome to this virtual qualification on SIP, Saturday, August the 21st, 2021. I am a food addict from Georgia, and I will share my story of recovery from food addiction. After a moment of silence, I will open with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Let me um, start with my numbers. Um, As I said, I'm a food addict from uh, Georgia. And um, when I came into FA, I was weighing 318 pounds. My, that 318 pounds was my highest weight. My age was 50, 53 years old. And I was just continuously, continuously getting bigger and bigger. And I had, I came in FA with such a huge fear of getting to 400 pounds because nothing had stopped me from getting to that 300 pounds. I grew up as a normal size kid, uh, normal. Um, I didn't have any weight issues, but I had a lot of other issues. So um, let me just um, tell you uh, a little more about myself. When I came in FA, I had tried numerous, numerous attempts Uh, at failed attempts at trying to control my weight. As I said, as a teenager, um, I was a very active teenager. My weight remained the same all during my teens, the same height, 5'2", 110 pounds. I just presumed that um, I would remain that that height and that weight because it hadn't changed from the time I turned maybe 12 years old. But there was a lot of things, a lot of things in my life that had changed. I was born in North Carolina um, on the Outer Banks. My mother and father, I was their firstborn. And my father was in the military and he might've been about going on 21 years old. And my mother was 16 when she had me. And my father being in the military, my mother would leave me with my, uh, her younger sister and she would care for me. And eventually uh, my mother got to the place where she would no longer wanted to leave me. I had um, some health issues, um, ear, nose and throat issues. So they wanted to take me to a military hospital to be treated for it because there wasn't a, a hospital or they didn't feel that that hospital was treating me or getting the results that they wanted. So we moved to Rhode Island, Newport, Rhode Island, and I stayed there, started school there. And 
life was just just absolutely what I thought very, very peaceful, very loving. My mother and father was very attentive to me. My my sister didn't come along until I was maybe going on four years old. And we were just a happy family. And so I started school. My mother and father, at, at that time, school was like, you, you could come home for lunch. And I would come home for lunch. And as I look back, I don't remember food being there. I don't remember what I ate for lunch. I don't remember um, dinner. I don't remember all. All I know is that I was just fixated on my parents giving me attention. And that in attention, I, I just fed off of it. Um, my father would compliment me and what I achieved, and that made me feel good. My mother, who was more attentive in taking care of me. And so uh, that's what it was like. But something inside of me just was so, once I stepped out of my home where I felt safe into the world, that's when I started feeling a lot of fear, a lot of fear. That fear, I never, it, it never left me. I was fearful of going into class late if my mother and father woke up late, got me to school late. I was very fearful of that. I was fearful of um, my classmates. I wasn't very sociable. And so um, it was very difficult um, for me to really, really blend in with the other kids and play with the kids. I don't remember playing with any kids or having a friend except for one friend. And um, she was, she was, I, I don't remember her name. I don't remember too much about her, but I know that I would go and visit her because she had a lot of siblings, a lot of siblings. And something about being around a lot of siblings, I enjoyed seeing them interact with each other because I didn't have any, any siblings at that time to interact with because my sister was so much younger. So um, we stayed in Rhode Island and eventually um, my mother, the thing about back in those days, I was in the 40, in the 50s, was they didn't run anything by you. It was when I came home, it was here we go. We're moving from Rhode Island and we're moving to our house. No forewarning or anything. And I was just, I was just totally devastated. This was a huge change for me because I just didn't want anything to change. We moved to, from Newport, Rhode Island to Boston into this beautiful house. And I can remember just crying. And my mother, why did we have to move? My mother telling me that um, I had a beautiful room and she was going to fix my room up and it was going to be real girly and stuff, but that just wasn't enough. Um, it truly wasn't enough. So I went to school and I still felt like I was a loner. I felt like I just didn't belong. We moved in a neighborhood that was predominantly white and we were the first black family to move in that neighborhood. And that really kept us truly, truly isolated um, because um, my mother was very, very protective of us going out. So that was, that was different from where I came from. And eventually the other change that came about was my mother and my father um, eventually separated. I must've been about seven years old or something. And they separated and that was just devastating to me too. 
very devastating. And, and eventually my mother suffered, we were going, she was going through a hardship and all. So we moved in with someone else, some other people, something. Uh, it was just, it was just a lot of things that I wasn't being told as to why we, we had to move or when we were going to move. These are some of the things that I experienced real, very young. And the thing that really turned um, my life around, which I feel um, at that time was my mindset, was my mother started leaving us. She was always there being very attentive. And then she started leaving us um, with the babysitter and she would go out and have, have a good time. But that good time led to her beginning to start drinking. And that eventually my mother kept drinking and the, I saw the progression of her disease. And the more her disease progressed, the less she was attentive to our needs. And more I tried to control, fix, and change it back to the way it used to be. Um, thinking that if I just did this, if I washed the dishes more, if I cleaned more, if I did, got better grades in school more, but I was already getting better, good grades. And so I was just on this mindset that this was, this was something that I could fix. And I, I, it just kept getting more and more progressive, not really understanding my mother's disease. I just thought that she could just stop and be there for us like I so felt that I needed her to be there. So I, there was a lot of times when I um, didn't feel comfortable coming home because I, would, I wasn't sure what I was coming home to. And the chaos began to happen. My mother uh, started dating and um, I have two other siblings. So my mother, four children, um, and my father made an attempt to uh, see my sister and I, and my mother just told him, no, leave, um, don't, and don't ever come back. And I felt that my mother, you know, she really had, that really hurt. It hurt a lot. And I blame my mother for my father not being in my life for a lot, a lot of years. But the food, as my mother began to drink, the control and all that, led me to eating. That's when my addiction, the thoughts in my head was there, the resentment thoughts, the thoughts of um, why is this happening to me, me, me? Uh, maybe if I say this, do this, the thoughts I began to live in my head with a lot, a lot of thoughts about how I could fix this and mm -hmm. the eating, the, the, the food. The food began to really, you know, there was a time when I didn't, I, I said, I, I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember what I ate or when I ate, but then the food began to be very, very important. And I started taking money from my mother's purse. I would buy, I knew exactly how much money I needed to take to buy what I wanted, what I, what I felt like. Uh, it was three things that I would obsess over. That was my binge things. And I would go to the back of the, of the hallway and I would eat those things so that no one would see me. So I would hide and eat. I started hiding and eating. I would, I would be given the chores of cleaning, cleaning the kitchen. That was my job, clean the kitchen. And it was so difficult for me 
to put that food up and not eat it. It was just so difficult. And it came a time where I knew if I ate it, I would be punished. And I didn't know whether my mother would have anything else to, to any money to buy more. So I, it came to a point where I really didn't care. I didn't care. I just ate it anyway. Let me just take the punishment. But I had to eat that food. I remember when she would ask me to make that stuff, the Kool-Aid in the pack. And she would tell me to sweeten it. And I would, it was never enough, enough sugar. I would put, it would be sitting at the bottom. So, I mean, I, it would be sitting at the bottom. And no matter how much I would steer it, it still wouldn't dissolve. And um, I would, she would punish me for getting it too sweet. And to me, I mean, it was, it was just, it wasn't too sweet. I mean, I would, I, I, I'd like the sweet stuff. But so I can remember that. I can remember too, most kids were out playing when I, I would be hovering around in the kitchen, hoping that my mother would offer me something, something, just anything. There was no set time to have dinner. There was no set time to have breakfast. There was no set time for anything. Everything was just when she felt like it. And um, I just, I just was just, just trying to control it with my mind, my thought and what I did and nothing was working. So that, that it was, it was rough growing up in an alcoholic, in an alcoholic home. It was truly rough. I know it was for me not being able to have all my needs, just, just everyday basic needs met and trying to go to school and show up and not stand out differently. I was teased a lot in school. I was, I was so unkept that the kids just singled me out. And, you know, I held a big resentment for those, those, for the kids that teased me. But I realized that I was an unkept child. It, 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 and I loved it. So I walked around with a lot of self-pity that, you know, that other people had. Why was it that I couldn't have the same? It was just uh, a lot of thoughts were always in my head about how, what can I do to fix me? What can I do to get what I need? So I did a lot of dishonest things like taking from my mother's purse, not knowing. And uh, government, the government only sends one check a month, one check a month. And to, and she tried, my mother tried so hard to budget that check because she was beginning to realize that she was out of control with her money and with her, her behavior with the alcohol. So she would give the money to me and she would tell me, don't give it to her, not until she was feeling better. And I would always give her less than what she had given me. And so many times I was so dishonest around that because I just felt I, I just felt that the need to do that. And a lot of times I would, I would hang out with people just to get, just because their mom had an open refrigerator, they could come home from school and open the refrigerator and, and there was a snack after school. I, I, those are the kids that I hung around with, the ones that was willing to share with me their money and their food.
you know, I had no idea why I was eating like that, but it progressed and it progressed and it progressed. And eventually in high school, I went to a high school that it was suggested that I not go to that high school, but it was a trade high school. And the reason why I chose that trade high school was because one of the trades that they offered was cooking. And I said, that's my trade. I want to cook. And the thing about it is that we cooked, but I couldn't eat everything that I cooked. That was food that we had in the cafeteria for the other kids to take advantage of. But this, this disease was just progressing more and more with me. The, the food became more and more important to me. And so in, the, in my 11th year of high school, I made the decision that I wanted to get a job. I needed a job to take care of me. I, I, I couldn't do it any longer. Sit in school, being teased, being without what, what I needed for my reports. So many things that uh, my mother wasn't showing up in any way to help me. I was just, she was, didn't have the ability to encourage. And I, I say that because about my mother, because I thank God that I saw my mother's disease progress. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't thankful for it when I was going through it. But then when I realized that I had a problem with food, I had, I got married at 18. And I thought that I was in love with this gentleman because of the fact that he was willing to buy me what I wanted, when I wanted, and as much as I wanted. And that, that just told me that he loved me. That marriage didn't last long. It lasted for five years, long enough for me to um, have three beautiful girls, and they're very close together in age. And he became very abusive. And I thank God that I was able to leave that relationship and start a new life with my children and in my own apartment with my own kitchen and my own refrigerator. And I thought I had arrived and my own money. I, I don't want to leave that out and my own money. And I began to build my life around my children, the money I had and the food that I was able to buy, consume as much as I wanted to. And many, many times I was so, so lonely and so depressed that food was the answer. The only thing, only choice that I had was to go to the food. I remember leaving um, my kids um, sleep. They were asleep. I had a set time that they went to bed and this particular day, I didn't have any more of my bench food in the refrigerator. And I just, the obsession was calling me so that I left them long enough to go down to the corner. It wasn't that far away to get my bench foods. And when I got back, my baby of three months, she had pulled the cover over her head and she was just gasping for breath. And, um, I was just terrified by that, terrified. But was that enough to stop me from doing the same thing again? I ended up making that decision again, but this time I would take all the clothes off the bed so she should be safe. 
but um, this is what I, I would do these, these act out to get the food, do whatever it takes to get the food. Um, so I didn't, I finally got a divorce, started working. I started working at night, got a job. It was a good job. Here I'm working at night. I'm eating night and day. On my job, they had a lunch hour. They, have a, they had a, a dinner hour. And I would come home and I would eat again. I would eat again. I would eat again. And um, in that, during that time, I was eating morning, noon, and night. I was doing more eating than I was resting, more eating than I was sleeping, more eating than I was doing anything else. I was just eating, eating, eating. And um, I found myself at 200 pounds, 200 pounds, 30 years old. And I, I thought I was okay. I just thought I was okay. People told me, you look well, you look fine. Well, um, I, let, I, I kept um, believing, telling myself that I was fine. But I know I wasn't fine when I got to 250 pounds. I knew I wasn't fine then. That's when I started um, doing everything possible that I could. But first, I thought I could stop on my own. I'll take, I'll try Weight Watchers. That, 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 I could do that. And I made an attempt at Weight Watchers. I know it must have been at least three times. And I never lost any weight, never lost. I just was paying the money until, because I would, I would get weighed in on this Thursday night and then I would eat all during the weekend and then Monday I would try to watch, follow the Weight Watchers plan. So I just um, tried other things, the diet club, another uh, Nutrisystem club. I tried the three-day diet. I tried laxatives. I, 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 would, I would binge a lot, eat a lot. Um, and I would take a laxatives. So I was addicted to taking laxatives to purge myself. I went through a period where um, I was doing exercises, lifting all kinds of weights, anything but giving up the food. I just could not give up the bite, no matter how much or how long I thought about it. I can remember um, being at my mother-in-law's house and um, she and my husband had stepped away and, and they had that round thing in the refrigerator. And I can remember um, I had no transportation to get to anything to eat and I ate it and my mother-in-law came home looking for it. And she said, I know I had that round thing in there. And I had to tell her I ate it. And she said, you ate the whole thing? And um, I remember another time when I visit my mother-in-law. Oh, oh my God. Um, she wanted to visit a friend and I wanted to go to a restaurant. And she screamed at me from the back seat of the car. All you think about and talk about is food. And she screamed that at me and I just felt so ashamed, truly ashamed. I remember her um, sending me, she didn't ask me, she sent me a subscription to Prevention Magazine. Every time she talked to my husband, she would ask me, has she lost weight yet? Has she lost weight yet? I was just, um, 
I came to realize that people knew I was sick. They knew I had an abnormal relationship with food, but I was the last to know. I was the last to know. So I just thank God that when I came in this program, God had given me a solution, a solution, but I didn't, I wasn't willing to accept that as the only solution, but I'll take pick and choose some of the things that, that you tell me to do, but I'm not willing to do all of the things. And it wasn't until, <coughs> excuse me, it wasn't until I had <coughs> two on my third relapse, losing, after losing 190 pounds, and I forgot to tell you that now I'm maintaining a weight, um, uh, a weight, the weight of 125 pounds, and I thank God for that. It's only by his grace. As I took off the 190 pounds and I put a hundred of it back on by telling myself that I could eat a food product that was not in my food plan. I gave myself permission to eat that. And I thought it would be okay. I can control this, but I didn't. It took me two years to try to get my abstinence back again. Then I got my abstinence back and I ended up um, breaking my abstinence again off one mint. I took one mint and put it in my mouth and I ended up gaining back 175 of the 190 pounds that I lost. It was, a, it was I mean, the food was just absolutely, it had progressed to the point where I was 24 hours a day eating, eating, eating. I could not stop, no matter what. I had my husband put a lock on the, on the refrigerator, on the kitchen door, anything. Nothing could save me from getting at the food. It, I was driven. I feel I was driven into a madness that I had never, ever experienced before. So that's when that third relapse, when I really, really got serious about the fact that I am a food addict. I cannot control what I eat, how much I eat, never, ever again. It's not an option for me. And I thank God that FA was still there with the doors open, that I could walk back in to the rooms of FA and begin to work this program the way it was suggested. And that's how I do it today. I still ask God for help. I work my tools. I do, I call my sponsor. I weigh and measure. I eat three weighed and measured meals, nothing in between, and the avoidance of any individual bench foods. I, today, I could be honest. Honest. I went in and out of the food, even though I lost that 190 pounds. I still wasn't totally 100% honest with myself or anyone else. Today, I could be honest with myself. I, I, I have to be very, very mindful of what I'm doing. And that's with my behavior. And that's with what I'm thinking. I can't afford to allow myself to romance the food. I can't. I, it, it, and I can't, I just can't. Um, it's uh, restaurants, I don't eat out because I've gotten in all 
types of trouble with with restaurants, not willing to take the 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 things that I should take off, and um, but today I I very seldom go to a restaurant. Today I'm just so very very grateful that I can share with others the places where I've come from with this food, the behavior, the thinking. This is a disease mentally, physically, and spiritually. And this is a cunning, baffling, and powerful disease. I know that. And so I just want to wrap it up with saying that the most, the greatest thing that I have found in my relationship in, in this program, my relationship with myself, and today I could have relationship with a power greater than myself and others. So I am just so very, very grateful to be able to share this. And that's it for me. Thank you. And now I will close with a moment of silence and the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.